Hey there, and welcome to episode number nine of the Ask the Church Collective podcast. Haven't done one of these for a little while, and we're continuing on our weeks of theology. Uh, Adam Gohannick, Chris Lye, Chris Bellamy, and myself got together, and we just really talked shop on where we think church is going to be over the next five or ten years, and I think you're going to be really surprised about uh, a lot of the thoughts that we have. We're going to break this into two parts as well this week, just because there's so much great stuff. So here we go with the first part of our part of Ask the Collective. I think that this is Chris Sly. Um, I think that that as I process, we've actually we actually um, have been having a lot of conversations about this uh, here. I think the thing that I'm realizing more and more is that we probably are in for a huge shift because we are. Uh, have Have you guys read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? I'm aware of it. Um, like one of the things that he kind of points out is that, you know, there's all these, like, for instance, Jewish lawyers in the fifties and sixties, there's like this rise of Jewish lawyers that happen. And he explains why this happened hmm. um, there. And so like all the biggest law firms in the world came out of these Jewish lawyers coming out of college all at the same time. And it was because post World War II, you know, college professors, there were, there weren't enough jobs. So there were actually college professors teaching high school in New York City. And then because they were Jewish, there was still this like racism towards Jews that ended up not letting them get into some of the best, um, like Harvard and some of the other law schools. And, so because of that, they ended up going to these city colleges that actually had as good or better professors hmm. because of this glut post-World War II, this glut of really qualified teachers. And so there's this really strange phenomenon to have the same thing happen with like why are all of the um, you know computer demigods coming from um, the you know the Northwest? And they're all the same age. And I think that we kind of have the same exact same thing happening with the mega church. Like we have all of these churches whose pastors are within like six or seven years, you know, of each other in age. And they all kind of bloomed and blossomed at the same time. And so I think that that we're probably as a lot of these older pastors kind of come to the end of their um you know, to the end of their careers as pastors and being lead pastors, and they start to hand it off to others. Uh, it's a really interesting question to me what's going to happen in megachurch world when they hand off to a Generation Y or uh, even a millennial, if that happens, you know, in the near future. And how do those millennials and Generation Y or Generation Xers, how do they react to, um, you know, kind of the baby boomer mentality? Um, was always bigger is better. And I think that probably our generation and a little bit younger tends to think not that. And so what does that mean? To me, that's the big question is what Hmm. does that mean when church leadership gets handed off to a younger generation? How are they going to treat it? And I, and I actually have some theories about that, but I'd love to hear some of y'all's thoughts on that also. Hmm. That's good stuff. You want to start Chris? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think ultimately the church it's already being more unified, and it's just going to keep getting more unified because of internet. Um, you see, you know, all these these different communities online helping each other, and you see kind of a standard being made for churches, hmm. um, and smaller churches are able to have access to the resources that only 
mega churches used to have access to. Um, so it's it's not a matter of having the information anymore. You know, like uh, a smaller church can can do the same things as a bigger church nowadays because they there is just it's easy to find out how to do things. You know, sure. Um, what, what, what do you mean by by resources? Like, do you, you mean like say the like, church collective? The church collective, yeah, <laughs> yeah. churchcollective.com. But yeah. you know, you have you've got that. You've got you know, even if you just look at the guitar world, you know, mm-hmm. I remember 15 years ago trying to build a pedal board, and I would search and search and search magazines, you know, trying to find like different pedal board companies, and there weren't any. And so I made, you know, a pedal board out of two by fours and a, an oriental rug, you know, mm. and, and nowadays, like, you know, there's just, you, you just Google search pedal board and you get, you have, you have hundreds of options, you know, and yeah. it's the same way with church. Like you can, you can just quickly go to a resource like the church collective or to like a, a Facebook group or anything um, where there's just a, a collective of people from churches and ask you know, how, what's the best way to do this? What's the best way to do that? What's the easiest? What's the most economical? Um, and so the, it's, things are not out, out of reach for smaller churches. Um, and so with that said, I think the churches that will blossom um, ultimately are churches that cater towards multi-generations Um like I think the the churches that kind of cater towards um like small groups like like a certain generation or a certain demographic or whatever i kind of i think that they'll fade away in the churches that that are catering where you can bring your whole family mm. you know um i think that's that's what people ultimately are looking for that's my opinion but sure. um i think those are that i think that's why like churches like hillsong kind of prosper is because um they've kind of found this like secret formula for to kind of make it where you know it it feels fresh but at the same time you can be you know however old and still participate if that makes sense mm-hmm. see i wonder i wonder though if maybe the hill songs and the churches that are doing that multi-generational thing this is what i have noticed as i've dug into kind of understanding how those churches got to where they're at is that early when they made the decision, like for, for instance, with Hillsong, when they made the decision to kind of like move away from hymns and this is like darling check days, like mm-hmm. when they made the decision to move away from kind of the hymns and they were going to go more towards this, you know, at the time, this new frontier of contemporary worship, they were very, very, very intentional from the very beginning about casting vision to their older people about like, this is where we're going. We, we need to have you because you have this history of faith that young people don't have. Mm -hmm. And we need this balance, but we also need to chase the younger generations. And that was kind of Brian Houston's heart, like from the beginning and, and actually quite a few pastors that, you know, I'm kind I kind of am fascinated by church world and kind of what makes churches tick and why they do the things that they do. And the churches that have that really healthy culture of, 
you know, being able to go have a, you know, older people who are their, you know, they're the generation, let's be honest, that are supporting the church. Mm. Um, and yet they still draw the younger people a hundred percent of the time. I can't think of an example off the top of my head where that doesn't come because 15 years ago, the pastor began to cast vision for where we're going and was very intentional about leading people. But at the same time, kind of being like, we also understand why you might not like this and you might not want to be here. The church that I'm currently at here in, in, um, in Illinois, um, is very, very much that I would say that our, that we probably skew a little bit older than like Hillsong as far as like what we do. But, uh, but for 15 years ago, our pastor kind of just came to this place where he goes, we're getting, you know, our, our church is getting as old as the church is. Our church is 65 years old now. And he's going, we, we, can't, we're, we are going to die with the generation that is going to church right now unless we change something. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if pastors are intentional about it, then I think you can find that multi-generational thing. Mm-hmm. I think, too, if you look to history as a guide, um, that you kind of see where things will go. Um, that... Uh, you know, I think of two ministries from, from Orange County, California, uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and the Crystal Cathedral. They both were started relatively the same time in the same area. Um, and one of them was, for the time, very modern. Uh, you know, 1975, Calvary Chapel was about as cutting edge of a church musically as you're going to get. Oh, and yeah. then Crystal Cathedral was the opposite. What Crystal Cathedral did was that they did the old-style music, and they just did it better than anyone else. And if you ever tuned into the Hour of Power, um, and when I, when I was in uh, like middle school and, and high school, we didn't have cable, so like the only thing on you know, was like, especially sometimes like a Saturday morning you got up and, and there was these shows like Hour of Power that some church had bought airtime on, and you would see uh, the music. It was old school, the robes, the choir, the pipe organ, everything. I so sang I, it Hour of Power two times, by the hey, way. Hey, there you so go. So there's that. Dang, throw down. <laughs> somebody, somebody go and YouTube that. And you too. That's the great thing about YouTube, Chris, is, is all of the things that you've done, oh, your, your children will always have that there for you. <laughs> Let's hope YouTube blows up by then. Continue. Yeah. But, but, but so, so using that as a framework, going forward, like what does things look like in the next five or ten years? There are, I agree with, with – other Chris, Chris Bellamy, um, in some ways that things are being more unified. But I think in other ways, the, the internet can kind of give you confirmation bias. And I yeah. think in some ways, it's going to become more diversified, that there's yes. going to be a church somewhere that takes what we would consider as older or, or fading away, but they're still going to do it better than anyone else. And they're going to be sort of a, a rallying point for churches that prefer to stay um, more traditional. There's going to be a church that's more cutting edge. But even then, I mean, I'm, I'm from the Calvary Chapel movement. And, and up until a few years ago, and they've made some, some really awesome strides forward, but Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa was not, hadn't been cutting edge or even relevant, hadn't even been uh, three years or four years behind the times for 20, 30 years. And so there's going to be a church right now that's, that's super forward and setting the pace and at some point their generation will just kind of stop moving forward so i think i think you'll see a lot of things i think you'll see churches that are 
are unifying around something. I think you'll see churches that are um, looking to something from the past but doing it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at some point, you'll see, you always see backlashes. Um, the, the multiple worship leaders on stage thing is sort of a backlash against one person dominating the arena. And at yep. some point, there's going to be a backlash to that. So that, that, all that stuff is you kind of say, where is it going in the future? Some of it is like, well, what's happening right now? I guarantee you that whatever is the thing right now, that at five or ten years, somebody's going to do the exact opposite for, for whatever reason. Yeah, sure. I, I actually have a, a theory about that too, Adam. I think, um, I think that when I start asking the question of how do generations, how do different generations kind of handle this kind of stuff, you know, the thing that I think that I'm, that I'm seeing is that number one, the mega church world is an amazing, incredible place to learn church leadership because, um, guys who, are not ready to be the guy who 50 years ago they would have had to been the guy and they were the only guy at a church for the rest of their careers, you know, because that's kind of how church work was, you know, 50 years ago. Like my dad has been a missionary for, uh, gosh, since I was, you know, seven years old. So 31 years now. And my dad has never had even an assistant pastor. Like my dad has always been the guy. Mm. And I think that that was how we did ministry back then. It was just like the normal thing. Like this idea of team ministry is a relatively new sort of thing. And so there's a lot of guys who went into ministry not ready to be, quote unquote, the guy at a church, but they had to be because that's kind of what you were asked to do as a pastor. And so the megachurch world, I think, is this beautiful training ground for guys who are not ready to be the guy, but they get really good like understanding of what it takes to be a, a, a lead pastor and what it takes to be um, you know, building programs and all this kind of stuff that you're getting. And I just have this theory that like, in 20 years that the whole mega church thing is going to kind of go into what I'm seeing a lot of churches do, which is we're one church with six different locations. Mm. But now instead of being video, like you, like I'm seeing a lot of church. In fact, um, I read something just recently that the norm now for multi-site is actually to have a different teaching pastor on each campus and they teach the same basic message, but that, you have instead of it being a video like they do at Life Church, you know, and so Life Church has eighty thousand people that are all watching Craig Rochelle every week. They actually have these churches that are now the same church. They have the same DNA. Each campus might have its own kind of different flavor, but every church has a teaching pastor that is teaching, and those teaching pastors might rotate from campus to campus. But you are actually hearing a live message not a video. And I kind of wonder if maybe that's kind of the next wave. And then 20 years from now, we're just going to see a bunch of like the leaders that are now, you know, generation Y millennial leaders that are coming up in mega church land. If they're then going to be moving into starting churches and kind of like keeping this model of like, Hey, we want to keep our churches small because we want it to be personal. We want it to be liturgical or we want it to whatever that thing is, you know? Yeah. Right right now the Calvary chapels in Seattle are doing that. They are, they are doing their their goal is to have a church of say a hundred people in each neighborhood, hmm. and yep. and they have three in the last five years, and the, and their plan is to you know plant more. Um, I I think that's a real a real viable thing that's going to go forward. A lot. And there's always things you can't can't predict because um, you know the, you know I'm from Seattle originally, and and you know the story is always that when Nevermind came out, 
one of the things that hyped that album, aside from the music video, was the fact that you couldn't buy it for the first couple weeks. That they, they didn't print enough copies of the cassettes and CDs and everything for people to have physical copies. The only way you could get the music off that record was on MTV or, or on your radio. And, right. and if, if, Nirma, if Nirvana hadn't happened, 90s rock, early 90s rock would have been Guns N' Roses and, and Lame Bon Jovi. And, right. and that's where it was going. And Nirvana changed the course. So there's some ways in which we can't say, hey, what's it going to look like in five or ten years? Because there's always some X factor that yep. could come in um, and shift things. Like, for example, with the, the multi-site model, that's real common right now. But there's a downside to it economically. And if, if things change for the church, not just the econo- economics of our country, but if uh, the way the church is treated in society um, changes, then the economics don't work anymore. And um, one of the things that was really interesting when, when Mars Hill went away was that some of the churches that wouldn't have been sustainable as a multi-site campus were completely sustainable as an independent church. Um, and the the finances were just different. So there's things we can't fully see going forward. What's this going to look like? You know, um, everybody's talking about like technology and ways to integrate it. But if if it becomes that it's harder and harder for a church to get a building permit, for example, and and so churches become more nomadic as a result, um, then that technology conversation is going to shift radically in a way that we can't foresee. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at. Um stats online and here's something that says uh the average church in america has only 89 adults uh it says only two percent of churches in america have over a thousand adults so while i think a lot of times we, we look at like elevation you know and um some of the bigger churches and we think of that that being like kind of the the standard we also got to remember it's it's not really the standard <laughs> like they're compared to what's going on and just the average church across america it's it's completely different you know? sure but but the only thing to think about too is that um yes the two percent of churches do are that size i think it's like two percent or i think it's like one percent that are a thousand or bigger right yeah, two percent. Um, yeah, one to two. Yeah, one to two percent. But that two percent counts for over fifty percent of church attendance in America right now, and so that's what's crazy about it. Yeah. So yeah. So what what I was I was gonna say is, I, I if you look at like other things in our culture, like Starbucks, Walmart, Target. I don't know about Target right now, but. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> If somebody were to ask you, like, where do you think Walmart will be in five years? It's going to be right there still doing the same thing, you know, sure. like it's not going anywhere. Um, and I, while I think there definitely will be, you know, kind of the equivalent to the, the, the boutique coffee shop and, and there'll be a lot of people that, that enjoy boutique coffee, they'll still be way more people that are just looking to go into Starbucks and grab a quick, you know, right. um, yeah, for sure. frappuccino. And I, I think, I don't think churches are any different. I mean, not that that's a good thing or a bad thing, sure. but I, you know, okay. I, I don't think it will be extremely different. Maybe in 20 years we might see something, something cool happen, but in five years it's probably going to be pretty much the same, you know? I guess that, that see? sparks a question or sorry, I'll, I'll 
You want to go, Chris? Oh, I was just going to say that that uh, the the difference I think between a, a mainstream company like a Walmart is that and churches or Starbucks and churches is the fact that you know so many churches really are like like led by you know for lack of a better word like a personality like mm. you know like I know for sure that like my church you know is we have this guy, doc, you know, Dr. Tim Harlow is our pastor and Tim is, I mean, Tim is the reason why, I mean, obviously God is blessed, but people are coming to hear Tim speak. It doesn't matter how great the worship is. We honest, I, I joke around sometimes that I think that legitimately like there are weekends that we could not do worship and people would not even like realize that it happened. <laughs> um, and so like, I think that, like so much, I mean, like I can't imagine Life Church not being like I can't imagine tuning into Life Church and not seeing Greg Rochelle or Andy Stanley at North Point, and so I do wonder if there is just a little bit of a difference in how people view church because we've fallen in love with, you know, right or wrong. I actually, I actually love Mega Church World. I think that there are beauties to Mega Church ministry that. I've been in small churches. I've been in campus ministry for a large church, and I've been now in a, in several places where I'm, you know, a creative director or worship director in a large church. And there's something beautiful about what is happening. Like there's an excitement, man. Like with with being in this church. But I know that people are coming to hear Tim speak, and I just wonder what's going to happen when Tim, 15 years from now, is no longer our main speaker. Will How will that change our church? You know what I mean? And I and I think all these other churches are probably asking the same types of questions. So not to, not to say that you're wrong, Chris, but just to throw that out there. That's it for the first part of this episode. If you could head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us become more visible over there. And if you have a question, you can go ahead and go to the show notes for this episode on the website. You can hit the contact form. You can leave us a voicemail at 209-326-0933, and we'll answer your question on an upcoming episode of Ask the Church Collective. God bless you today.